You're listening to The People's Podcast. I was honest. Was I brutally honest? Yes. But I think that that's the problem. Everybody's so scared to be honest with one another. This is JSC Radio. Now, Dana told me about that big snake situation. Big worm. Big worm, big hole, big... I don't give a damn. You get your ass on out of this house, boy. You only got some shit going. And you, you keep your ass here. Big snake, big worm. What kind of name is that? I bet y'all drinking that wine too, ain't you? Just smoking them tweeds and everything. Wearing the old clothes all half off your ass. What the hell's going on today? Huh? Weeds. Oh, this ain't the poop butt lead, man. Ain't no poop butts around here. This is not your average hot dog stand. You know what this is? This is Winky Dinky Dog. I know, I know, and I'm glad to be working here at Winky Dinky Dog. Yeah, it sends chills down my spine every time I say it. Winky Dinky Dog. Mr. Jones, it's not that I'm not happy working here. It's just that acting allows me to be creative. Bobby, you can create here. I created the Winky Dinky Dog. 100% beef. Winky Dinky Hamburger. Winky Dinky Donut. Winky Dinky Dip. And I got a new one, Bobby. The Winky Dinky Whole Cake. Whole Cake. Whole Cake. Holes got to eat too. You're listening to the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Hey now, my name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 104th episode of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Hey now, how's it going everybody? Jay Scott Smith here, back at you once again for the second consecutive week. Schedule's finally eased up just enough that I can hit y'all with back-to-back weeks of this shit, boy. And let me tell you, this one is another very special edition because it's the first international edition. If you couldn't tell from the cover art on this thing and from how we propped it up, you can follow me on social media at jscottsmith. That's J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H. Of course, you can follow the show at JSC Radio, and that's on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. If you haven't already gotten on Facebook, get on Facebook, facebook.com slash JSC Radio. Of course, we're on YouTube. That's bit.ly slash JSCTube. Be sure to check that out. We just got the video for last week's interview, last week's conversation with Leanne Weeks. That's up on the YouTube page, bit.ly slash JSCTube. To check that out, be sure to subscribe and ring that bell for notifications. Also, of course, you can check out this show on all your favorite podcast providers, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Don't forget Stitcher Premium. Use the promo code JSC to get a free month of Stitcher Premium. We're also on CastBox. We're on TuneIn. We're on AudioBoom. We are on Player FM. And, of course, we are on iHeartRadio and on Spotify. That's plenty of shilling for me for right now, but I had to, oh, cannot forget to shout out my man, Doc Illingsworth. Big up to my man, Doc Illingsworth. You can follow him on Twitter and on Instagram at Illingsworth. That man has nothing but words of wisdom and dope-ass beats. We are shouting him out all the time. Of course, big up to my man, Awesome Jones, whose track, Blue Chucks, is the 
opening song. It's the intro song, the intro beat, if you will, to JSC Radio. And you might have noticed if you've just recently started following the show or if you've been a follower of the show for a while. Either way, you may have noticed that there's been a slight change, a tweak, a different look on all of the logos, on all of the branding. Because when I started this podcast three and a half years ago, the name of the podcast was and always has been J. Scott Confidential. What the hell do you think the JSC is in JSC Radio? JSC Radio, of course, was the shortened up version because J. Scott Confidential was originally a website. It was a blog that I had written going as far back as 2009. So that was the original name. And it was also the name of a very short-lived television project and a few other things. So JSC Radio was just going to be an extension of J. Scott Confidential. But the JSC was always J. Scott Confidential. Well, I have a brilliant friend whose name I will not bring up now because at some point in the future, she will be on this show to fully introduce herself. But I have this brilliant friend who suggested, and it made a lot of sense, that in terms of branding, people get to know this podcast. There are some day ones, some ride or dies who've been here from the very beginning, and thank you. Damn it, thank you. I always appreciate people who support me from day one. But you newcomers may not know what the hell JSC is. So now, going forward, every time you see JSC, you'll see the name, J. Scott Confidential. Of course, this podcast will still be called JSC Radio. I am not changing any of the social media handles. I will still hit you with that smooth-ass intro. This is JSC Radio. I'll keep hitting you with that because it just flows so well. But please understand, the JSC stands for J. Scott Confidential, but the C also stands for Conversations. And we're going to have a great conversation, and we're going to get it going on one other thing before we go into the conversation that I'm going to have with this amazing young woman. We lost an icon last week. In fact, not long after episode 103 went up, we lost the iconic comedian, actor, all-around awesome dude, and a Detroit legend in John Witherspoon. And John Witherspoon... He suddenly died last Wednesday, a week ago. His son, J.D. Witherspoon, is a cat that I actually watch on YouTube. Because as I talked about with Aaron Simon in episode 101, go back and check that out in the archives and on the YouTube page. I watch a lot of gaming videos. And I discovered J.D. about a year and a half, almost two years ago, because he did a lot of cool gaming videos. With guys like Dashy and there's Game Grumps. He did his own podcast. He's kind of a multifaceted dude. I didn't realize initially that this cat was John Witherspoon's son until John Witherspoon shows up in some of his gaming videos. Yeah, that's like some, that was some unexpected shit to see. I woke up early last week or last Thursday. It happened late Wednesday in the evening, but it didn't really get out to Thursday morning. And I got Thursday morning and I see John Witherspoon's dead. And it's just like, geez, because John Witherspoon's voice is so much a part of really a black culture of the last 40 years. He's just a guy that you didn't really pay attention to about until about the 1990s. But he'd been around since the 1970s, doing everything from Barnaby Jones and the Richard Pryor show. He's a Detroit native, born and raised in the city. And he's one of those guys we were proud of to say he was from Detroit. And throughout the history of every radio show I've done, because Anybody who knows me knows well that one of my favorite all-time movies is Friday. Throughout the history of all the radio shows, going back to Saturday Night Live on Power 96.5 in Lansing, to Feel the Hunger Radio, to the mixtapes we did all the way through, John Witherspoon's voice was so much a part of everything. 
And he showed up in so many different bits and drops and cuts that we have. And I mean, it, you just can't go wrong. You heard his voice bringing us into the show. I don't give a damn. So shouts out and much love to J.D. Witherspoon. If you follow J.D. Witherspoon on any form of social media the last week, he has just been he has just been hitting us with just all sorts of video footage from all the stuff that he, all the outtakes he had with his dad, all the cool moments he had with his dad. John Witherspoon's a salt of the earth guy. And as a Detroiter and somebody who was just a fan of his, that hurt. But if you see J.D. Witherspoon, whether it's on Twitter, if you're somebody who actually is in L.A. and you know him, dap him up and show him some love. Because the brother could certainly use it as, then obviously to his brother Alex and to his mom and all the people who were really tight with him. John Witherspoon, he was 77 years old. And he's a, he's a hell of an individual and a great guy. And my cousin actually met John Witherspoon. My cousin, Rochelle Turner, she works down in Little Rock, Arkansas. Love you, Rochelle. She met John Witherspoon at NABJ a couple of years ago when he was out there for a – I think he was either performing that weekend or he was a part of some panel. And he couldn't have been nicer to my cousin. He couldn't have been better to her. And if you treat Rochelle, who basically is like my sister, if you treat her right and you're good to her – Damn it, I think you're a great human being. Plus, from everything I heard about him, and he was just funny as shit. He's unbelievably funny. I can't do it justice, but we will be hearing little clips of some of my favorite John Witherspoon moments, whether it was from Friday, whether it was from any of his other movies, whether it's the Boondocks. And that crazy story that J.D. told that he almost didn't take the granddad role in the Boondocks. J.D. had to tell him how big of a deal that was. And it was like another iconic role. Mm-hmm. You're having that dream where you made the white people riot, weren't you? But I was telling the truth. How many times have I told you you better not even dream about telling white folk the truth? You understand me? Shoot. Making white people riot. You better learn how to lie like me. I'm going to find me a white man and lie to him right now. So, shouts out to the Witherspoon family. Of course, the thoughts go out to you guys. Detroit lost a legend, but more so... They lost a great man and a great father. You know what? We'll take a pause for a second here, and then we'll get off into our conversation. Our conversation this week takes us across the Atlantic Ocean to Ghana to talk to a young woman named Antoinette newton Aqua. You may not know who she is, but trust me on this one. After this conversation, you're damn sure going to want to be ready to support her and get to know so much more about her. My name is Jay Scott Smith. And this is the 104th episode of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. And we'll be back after this. Good pick, Junior. Daddy, I told you that Angela and I are just friends. Mm-hmm. Just friends, huh? Yes. Just, just friends. friends. Leave it alone, hon. They told you that five one time. Just let it go. Fine. We change the subject. Now, Marcus, I hear a girl dog that you pussy with. <clears throat> Why don't you reverse it? Don't be pussy with. Whip that pussy! Look. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> You're listening to the People's Podcast. I'm not gonna be responsible for what happens next. This is JSC Radio.
Hey now, Jay Scott Smith here. Of course, you know, I am the host of JSC Radio, which you have heard on Stitcher from the very beginning. Because in case a lot of you don't remember, Stitcher was the first major podcast platform to pick up my show. And now they want to give something back to each and every one of you listeners on Stitcher. Introducing Stitcher Premium. You can listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free, mind you, with Stitcher Premium for only $4.99 a month or, if you prefer, $34.99 a year. You can get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums, and so much more. Listen to shows like The Fantasy Footballers ad-free, or you can get shows like Dunk on Basketball and, of course, JSC Radio. Simply go to Stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today. That's Stitcher.com slash premium premium to sign up today and when you go there drop in the promo code jsc we get you one free month of stitcher premium don't ever say i ain't do nothing for y'all remember it's stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today and get one month free by dropping that promo code jsc it's just that simple baby get on stitcher premium right now and you can get the best in podcasting You're listening to The People's Podcast. You can't say F you to your granddaughter. I just did, Morty. Here's dessert. F*** you. This is J.S.C. Radio. Don't hate the player, hate the game, son. This is the 104th episode of The People's Podcast. You're listening to J. Scott Confidential, better known as J.S.C. Radio. Welcome back. Jay Scott Smith here and want to shout out everybody who supports this show every single week. Of course, across all your favorite podcast providers, big ups to a man, Doc Gillingsworth, whose music you hear underneath you right now. Be sure to check out his newest selection called Old Man Raps. He finally put out this new EP. It's on Bandcamp. I've already put the link in the description. You need to go check that out. It's called Old Man Raps, despite the fact that he's not an old man, but he does a lot of the rapidy raps. So now let's get off into this. I want to make, oh, by the way, be sure, of course, to follow on social media at JSC Radio and at J. Scott Smith, J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and, of course, again, the podcast is also on YouTube, bit.ly slash JSCTube. Hit subscribe, hit that notification bell, and you won't miss a damn thing. Now, let's get down to this. This guest that we have coming in on this show is amazing. She's a young woman who I met at random as an intern at a former job here in Philadelphia. But her story is so captivating and so amazing. Her name is Antoinette, Antoinette Newton Aquash. She prefers to go by Tony. And Tony is such a fascinating individual. Her parents are originally from Ghana. She grew up here in the Philadelphia area. She's unbelievably, just unbelievably brilliant. I'll say that right off rip and you'll catch that very quickly. Well. For the last year and a half, she has been living in Ghana, her parents' homeland. She went back to Ghana in 2018, and in the amount of time she's been there, she's used this amazing spirit, this enterprising spirit of hers, to create her own health and wellness company called Flowers and Moon Dust. Yes, it is just as whimsical as it sounds, and we will get to know more about that and everything else. This is the 104th episode of The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio, and I welcome 
all the way from Ghana. Yes, we did this on Skype. I did not have the money to fly across the Atlantic. This was recorded back in September because of the crazy schedule we've had. We're finally able to get her on here. We're gonna, we went for almost an hour at this. So lock it in right now. J. Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio, introduces you to Antoinette Newton Aqua. Let's talk to Tony all the way over in Ghana. You are my first international guest on this podcast. <laughs> so you have Thank been you having me. Thank you for being here. I've been um, I've wanted to talk to you for a while. We were finally able to get things together. Obviously, you're coming to me from the other side of the Atlantic. And I guess first and foremost, how is life over there in Ghana, over there in the proverbial motherland, as we like to say here in the States? What's it been like over there for you and how long have you been there? Um, So I've been here in Ghana for about a year and a half now. Um, before coming to Ghana, I'd been here before in 2015. I was doing an abroad program at the University of Ghana in Legon. Um, and then I left to go graduate and then some things happened that brought me back to Ghana. And now I've been here a year and a half and being back has been an adjustment. Um, sometimes I do feel homesick, um, which is Really, what we've pinpointed it to is whenever I say I'm homesick, it means I'm missing some of the American food (laughs) that I'm used to. Um, But it's been quite an adjustment, and it's been a little bit easier on me since I do have family here. Um, It's made the transition a lot easier than someone who doesn't know anyone on the ground. So when I got here, I lived with my family for some time before I ventured off on my own. And just having them help me in the beginning definitely made my transition to living in Ghana a lot easier. So for people who are thinking of coming back to the motherland or coming back to Ghana and relocating to Ghana, I would say definitely try to make some connections first, um, just so when you get here, it's easier to make that transition. So just and just to clarify, you were born here in the States. You were you were not born in Ghana. Your your parents are from Ghana, but you were not born in Ghana. You were born in the United States. So just explain that half, your the American half of your story. Yes. So my parents um, came to the states way before I was born. Um, I would say about five years before I was born. They moved from Ghana to um, New York, upstate New York, Syracuse, and the reason they did that was. For financial reasons, um, they grew up here in poverty and they just wanted a a fresher start and access to good education for their children. And just they didn't want to raise their children in poverty and they felt that America was a better place to raise children. And so I was born in upstate New York, Syracuse. And it's funny because after, right after I was born, I came back to Ghana. And so from the age like zero to five, I was in Ghana. So fun fact, Fonti, which is one of the local languages here, was my first language. And right before I started school, kindergarten, I moved back to Syracuse. So it was a little back and forth in the beginning. But 
my childhood was um, upstate New York, and then we moved. My parents separated, and then we moved to um, outside of Philly, and that's pretty much where I grew up, right outside of Philly. What was the Philly experience like for you growing up? So I'm not exactly in Philly. I'm outside of Philly in the suburbs. So it's a little bit different than someone who grew up in Philly. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, and we were the only black family for some years before a few other black families moved in. And so I remember in third grade, I was the only black student in my class, which was very difficult. Um, I stood out obviously. And um, I just remember a lot of people would use me as examples for whenever they wanted like uh, diversity or to talk about minorities or black people. It was always, oh, well, Antonina (laughs) is uh, black. She's African. And it was very interesting. I remember this one time we did a school project where we had to write a book And my teacher, I wanted to write a book about like a fish, like a little boy who went fishing. And my teacher was trying to get me to write about Africa instead. And the whole thing was very awkward because I'm just like, no, I want to write this book about this fish. He's like, no, write about Africa. I'm just like, okay. It's so it's so weird because I, and I've I've often gotten on African Americans about this, let alone everybody else out here, is that. Africa is not a country. Africa is a continent, and it's got so many different, so many different. It's fifty-three. Last I checked, I think it's more than that now, but it's like fifty-three, fifty-four different nations in Africa, and so many different ethnicities and languages and voices and experiences. And Northern Africa is so much different from from Southern Africa. West Africa is so much different from the East of the Horn of Africa. There's it, I. I mean, I even within Ghana, when if you ever get a chance to visit Ghana, you'll see that even within the country, there are a lot of differences in the different regions of Ghana with a lot of different languages and a lot of different cultural practices. So how much more the entire continent of Africa? So that just goes to show there's a lot of nuance in on the continent that people might not be aware of. Did you ever get to write the story about that fish? Oh, in the end, I won. I ended up writing the story about the fish because I started crying. I was only in grade three, so <laughs> I just did not understand why I couldn't write what I wanted to write about when all the other students got to write whatever idea popped up in their mind, and I was being forced to write about something I didn't want to write about. It's interesting because uh, obviously the black experience in America varies for everybody. I grew up in Detroit, where mine was more of a just a straight-up urban city experience. And there are some people who grew up in rural areas. You were kind of in that hybrid region because the area outside of Philadelphia is very suburban. It's not super rural, but it's also got a lot of the city influence floating around there. And it can be a different time for people like, say, for you, where you're obviously you, – you're, you're very distinctive features. You have a very distinctive name. And people, even black people, have this weird kind of – these weird thoughts about either African immigrants, in your case, you were born in the United States, so you're an American citizen, but people who come from African families. And was that like a difficult thing for you? Did you ever get any, any either, whether it's dealing with racism on one end or dealing with maybe some forms of ignorance from our own back home? 
Oh, of course. I mean, some of the bullying and teasing I endured for being African came from African-American students, not even the white students. So there's definitely a rift between growing up, at least it's gotten better now. But growing up, there was definitely a rift between the African students and the African-American students where because we're coming directly from Africa, um, they just felt they were better than us in so many ways and they felt they could talk down on us. And so it definitely made it difficult because even though we shared the same complexion, we there was still a divide and a division and it was hard to navigate. I just it's so interesting and so strange when I see that because I've I think at, at the point in time when I'm growing up, there we had a lot of like Nigerian immigrants coming in to uh, like like Detroit. And I would often, the first time I would really see anybody from Africa was when I met a Nigerian kid. And we always just knew like, those are the kids who are really good at math. That's of, of all the odd stereotypes that we would get is the Nigerian kids were good at math and they were good at science. But people would always have these ridiculous jokes to tell about them or things to say about them. I'm thinking, aren't they just as black as we are? Aren't we, that we don't seem to have a greater understanding of where people come from or what they experience or why they would come to America. Yeah, in some cases definitely, I think it's a lack of understanding um, where we're coming from because the United States pushes a narrative of Africa that's very degrading, very sad. And so when they see people coming from that region, they have negative associations or negative thoughts in their minds about those people. And divide and conquer right and so of course the, if if we're unified it'd be hard to break us down but if they're able to divide us and say oh well these black people are different than these black people then it creates animosity it creates tension it creates um negative feelings and then we end up fighting each other when that's not what we're supposed to be fighting right <laughs> not at all it's a, it's, it's a tactic that's unfortunately has worked for a long time and even like in Africa, there are people who hold African-Americans to a certain way that's not necessarily positive. They might say that, oh, African-Americans, they're lazy, they're this and that, and they don't know the reality of what they're facing on the other side. So it's a lack of understanding on both sides sometimes. And so I feel like the more we get to know each other, the more we learn about each other, the more we travel you're able to debunk some of these stereotypes that you have in your mind about other people who look just like you. It's amazing that we're both kind of of the same people, but we're not at the same time. And yeah, some, a lot of that is also can be attributed to, we, we just recently had the anniversary of the first slaves arriving in the United States, for example. That did countless damage to what we know about ourselves, about where we came from. And you can only do so much DNA testing because because obviously something is there and you don't know where you came from or you only or you can only trace it back three four generations and it goes dark because you don't know what happened beforehand for you i'm i'm i can only imagine like you you you've had such an interesting experience and that's not even factoring in some of the things you had to deal with either with family or with friends and what was what was it like for you growing up, like, in terms of family? Oh, well, my, I, I come from a very dysfunctional family, unfortunately. As I said, my parents divorced when I was about five or six years old, and I 
grew up in a single parent household as a result of that. And so um, it was very difficult family-wise. I feel like because my mom came from such a hard background, um, one of poverty and of trauma, she held on to some of that trauma and it manifested itself in negative ways in terms of her parenting style. And so a lot of growing up, I just remember being, I don't want to say afraid, but it was was like walking around eggshells when it comes to the relationship between myself and my mother. It was a very tumultuous relationship. Um, And I feel like it's a result of the unresolved trauma in her life. And it just goes to show how important it is to heal from things that happen in your childhood so that you don't pass it down to your children. And that's still something that I'm working through now as an adult, um, and it's a process. And so when people ask me about my childhood and about how it is growing up in a Ghanaian um, household, it's very difficult for me to answer that since it was one that's not necessarily positive and loving and warm. And so that's why when I think about home, it's not necessarily the place where you, like a physical location, I've had to redefine home and what it means to me. And so as I move around from place to place, I'm learning that home is within myself first and foremost, and it's within people that I create, can create positive relationships with. What is the, uh, what's the place that's been the happiest for you? I would say... That's a very interesting question. No one has ever asked me that before. I mean, one of my happiest places, I would say, would be Maine, believe it or not, um, which is where I went to university. I studied at a small liberal arts school in Waterville, Maine, Colby College. And um, that's where I met my best friend best friends, I should say, more than one. And I've created some amazing memories at that school that I'll forever cherish. So I would definitely say Maine is one of my happiest places. And it's just a place that brings a lot of joy because the amount of growth that I experienced while at college really shaped who I am today. So random, but Maine. (laughs) Well, college will do that. Now, how did you first hear about Colby College? The first, I think, when I first met you and you told me where you went, I I had to go look that up on a map. I had no (laughs) idea where it was. I've never been to that part of the Northeast. I've never been that far up in the Northeast. What what was that like coming from the Philly suburbs going to Maine, which can be pretty pretty rural and pretty remote depending on where you are there so finding colby was is a funny story within itself because like you said it's in the middle of nowhere maine most people don't know where it is when i say i go to colby college um so my during high school my final year i was applying to colleges like most students and i went to my college advisor And I was explaining to her the type of school that I wanted to go to. I said I wanted small classes. I wanted the conversations to be very intimate. I wanted um, like-minded individuals who are, like, passionate about learning. And I was a bookworm growing up, so I was really into my studies. And so I had a really good GPA, and so I had the opportunity to apply for, like, scholarships and things like that. And as I'm talking to her, she's making note of what I'm saying. And she was like, oh, have you heard about Colby College? And I was like, no, I haven't. Tell me more. (laughs) 
And she's like, oh, it's in Maine. I was like, Maine? No, <laughs> sis, no, I can't. <laughs> it's cold up there. It's far away from home. Like, I can't. She's like, listen, Tony, just apply and see what happens. So I added it to my common college. There, there was this... um app called Common App, where you just fill out one application and you could add different schools to it. And that one application will be sent out to different schools. So I added it to my list and I totally forgot about it. So when I received an acceptance letter to come like toward the school, I was very surprised. Um, but I went to toward the school. Um, I didn't particularly like it because it was very cold and I just remember that it's just really far and really cold. But then they gave me a scholarship and I was like, never mind, I guess well, I'm go. going because it was they covered everything that I couldn't pay, which was beautiful. And I appreciate them for that because I graduated with no debt, which, which is, is always amazing. And it gave thing. me the freedom to be able to relocate to Ghana, actually. So, what well, what did you get your degree in? I majored in biology and African American studies with the intention of going to med school after I graduated. But as it would be, I didn't end up going to med school. Um, I decided my junior year that that's not what I wanted to do, but I didn't vocalize it because everyone expected me to be a doctor and everyone put these pressures on me and expectations on me and so even as I told myself I didn't want to go to med school I didn't want to vocalize it because once you say it out loud it becomes real right and I didn't know what I wanted to do if not medicine if not med school I never got a chance to really understand myself. So after I graduated, that was the time when I started to trying to figure out what does Tony like to do? What is she passionate about? Like causes her to get up out of bed and bring joy into her life. Like pretty much what's my purpose, if not medicine. And so I ended up doing a lot of internships and that's how I found myself at the in the newsroom <laughs> because okay. I wanted to to see what that was like writing and doing news stories and it turns out I didn't really like it. <laughs> see, which is okay which is see uh, of course the full, uh, full disclosure because that's what we do here I first met Tony when she was interning at a uh, a radio station I used to work for one that I haven't exactly had the uh, highest of things to say about but she was Tony was one of the more brilliant individuals who walked through there and when you came through there, you picked it up very quickly. And that's what jumped out about you to me was how quickly you picked that up and how well you handled everything there. Where I'm just thinking if she wants to be a journalist, she would be an outstanding journalist. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I do learn very fast. You're right about that. Um, because I just I, I put my all into everything that I do, no matter what the job is. And being in a newsroom is no different. So even though I went there not really knowing what the what I was in for, I just put everything I learned in university, critical thinking, analyzing into the work that I was doing. So that's why it came to me pretty easily. And it seemed like I was a natural at it. But prior to that, I had never done any of that work before. <laughs> so you had ne so you'd never 
you'd never done anything journalistic before. No, no, that was my first. That's your first time, yet I remember when you came in there, I'm thinking, okay, she must have a journalism degree. She's got to have, she's got to have had some sort of other experience. And no, you just just came in there and said, ah, what the hell, I can do this. And just got <laughs> and just. Exactly. And you, just rolled my sleeves up. Google was my friend. <laughs> it <laughs> is Anything your friend. I needed, just look it up. <laughs> Oh it's my amazing goodness. what you could do with it, the power of the internet. It's, it is. And of all the things you were able to do, you, you did a wonderful job there, but you knew it wasn't your thing, which there's nothing wrong with figuring that out. What yes, was the... I'm very thankful for that experience and knowing that that is not what I wanted to do. So after um, working there, I got another job in business marketing for um, a company, a small company in Harlem. And so I ended up moving to Harlem from Philly to Harlem. And I worked with that company for about a year and a half. Um, and I, it was a small company, small fashion company. And because it was a small company, I got to learn a lot really quickly. Um, when you work at a small company, you'll find that even though your job description is one thing, you end up doing many other things just because there's only so many people in the office. Oh, yeah. So, yes, I got hands-on experience. Um, I learned how to communicate with people. I learned social media marketing and a lot of the things that I didn't know at the time, but would help me in my own journey as an entrepreneur. So once again, I'm very thankful for that experience as well. And while I was working um, at this job in Harlem, I received a phone call um, that my father had passed away. And if you remember, I said that my parents had split when I was really young. So I hadn't seen my father from the time that they separated up until he passed away. So going for his funeral was a very heavy thing because I felt like we had a lot of unresolved um, issues that so I never had, really got to vocalize. This had been, what, about almost 20 years, I guess, or like like pretty close to... So you hadn't had any, like, no real interaction with your dad talked on the phone here and there and he wrote me letters for like my birthday but nothing in person no physical contact like I could have walked by him on the street and if I didn't know I, I could be walking past my father like I wouldn't know because it'd been so long since I've seen him and the next time you saw him was at the funeral yes which was very heavy very hard thing to negotiate um and because I just had so much built up anger inside of me and I just broke down and I was in New York. Everything is super expensive in New York um, and I, everything moves really fast. And I just needed the space and time to process everything. And so that's what led me back to Ghana. Um, so I had family here and they were like, Tony, you should just come back for a few months and just take time, spend time with the family, get to know us. And so that's what I did. I will backtrack just a little bit to your dad here before we go fully into your trip to Ghana. You said there were things that you had kind of needed to work, I guess, either hadn't worked at it and talked to him, obviously. If 
there and obviously if you're not comfortable answering this i totally get it but there if there's something that you could have either expressed to him or said to him or kind of maybe wish you could have learned about him is there something there or what was it that you're that you feel like you could have gained is there what what was missing there from all this well since i was so angry at him i never really put myself in his shoes to see what life might be like for him i mean having separated from his wife and his children what that would be like um he also had a very difficult upbringing and so all of that has been internalized and once again that unresolved trauma inside of him is pre- prevented him from being the father that I know he could have been to me and obviously when you're young you don't really rationalize all of this in your mind and now that I'm older I understand that maybe he was going through his own traumas and didn't know how to how to work with them or process them and being an african man you don't really they're not really taught to process emotion and so they hold on to a lot of negative things and it manifests itself in your body in different ways um and so if i could talk to him i would tell him that i forgive him for not having been there for me um and i would tell him that i'm going to be okay um and that even though it was painful growing up without him like it's like i'm going to come out successful and i am going to make him proud essentially is what i would tell him if he was still around what what was the process like moving from wow what what was the process like moving from the states to ghana what and how was that because you mentioned you you spent your first five years of your life there, but coming back as an adult, that had to be a different, I wouldn't even say a culture shock, but it had to be kind of a shock to the system coming out to, coming out to Ghana. I, I, I also was here in 2015. Um, that was my first time back as an adult. I did a study abroad program here, and so I had a fair idea of what to expect the second time coming back. It was the first time I came back in 2015. There was a bit of a culture shock. First of all, the heat, Lord, that greeted me when I got <laughs> off of that airplane. I just, I was just like, I don't know how long I can last here. It took a while for my body to acclimate itself to the temperature change. But um, after that, the next thing was the food. Um, it took a while for my stomach to get acquainted with the food as well. Tell me about um, Ghanaian food. What is what is Ghanaian food like? It's heavy in carbs. <laughs> That's <laughs> for sure. It's heavy in carbs. It's heavy in oil. Um, the portion sizes are huge. When I first got here, I'm just like, you expect me to eat all of this? This is like food for three people. But it's <laughs> it's I really like it. My favorite food to eat is probably wache, which is a version of rice and beans. And jollof rice, which is like uh, spiced rice, I guess you would say. It's really good. I don't know how to cook, and I'm trying to learn how to make jollof rice. Um, I feel (laughs) like that's something I should know how to do. Um, There's also fufu, which is pounded cassava, pounded cassava. Um, But I personally don't like fufu. Some people do. It's not for me. Um, 
And yeah, so if you ever come to Ghana, I'll definitely take you on a food tour and you'll try a little bit of everything. Anybody who knows me knows that's the first thing I look for when I go someplace is the food. And the thing, I guess, before we get to this company you've created, the other thing you've always been about, even in the amount of time I've known you, is you've always been about taking care of yourself. You're always working out. You're, 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 you eat a hell of a lot better than I do. You, you do yoga. You do, you do all these things to, to take care of yourself. And it shows. It shows that anybody who follows you on Instagram, for example, the, the videos you do of the workouts and everything else, and it's so cool seeing you do all these things. When did you first kind of really get zoned in on taking care of your body and kind of doing different things to help you maintain being in such great shape and great condition? Well, I, I always, always like to tell people that for me, some of it is intuitive, like it's innate. I was born a dancer. <laughs> I love to dance. <laughs> and so even from a very young age, I was always in my room dancing, trying to learn all the moves in the Beyonce videos. And as I got um, my own phone and my own computer, I started watching YouTube videos and I started to see Afro beats and how high energy it was. And so I started to learn those dance moves. And in um, college, I was the head of the um, African dance team that we had going on on campus. We started it and I became the lead choreographer. And so movement has always been something I do naturally. Like, it feels odd when I go for a long time without any form of movement, whether it's dancing, whether it's running, whether it's going to the gym, yoga. I just need movement in my life for me to feel, like, alive in, in my within my body. So part of it is natural and part of it is innate but I became more conscious of it I would say um, during my time in university when I started seeing um, a therapist the on-campus therapist and we just started having conversations on well-being and what a 360 well-being taking care of yourself looks like and part of it is exercise and movement and then eating well and also taking care of your mental health so that's when I became aware of it more and actively engaging in physical movement and eating well and talking about problems or things that are on my mind. So that way I get that 360 holistic care that everyone should really engage in. So just in that first 30 minutes of that conversation, we found out that this young woman has lived a life that far you could write a you could pretty much write a book on just what she talked about in terms of her upbringing and what led her to make the to make the move the return to Ghana but that's only scratching the surface coming up after this break we find out about flowers and moon dust what also inspired it what drives her to keep going and what her goals are for not only this but also her plans for living a life in Ghana and whether or not she would ever consider coming back home to the United States. My name's Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 104th episode of The People's Podcast. This is Jay Scott Confidential, better known as JSC Radio. We'll be back with more with Tony Newton Aqua after this. You're listening to The People's Podcast. And we swagger when we walk, because by God, we can. This is JSC Radio. Radio.
man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go, fish that. Oh, come on. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Imagine being fired because of who you love. Imagine being denied medical treatment because of who you marry. Imagine being evicted because of who you are. Millions of Americans don't have to imagine this. They have to live it. Because in 31 states, it's legal to discriminate against LGBT people. Get the facts at beyondido.org. Brought to you by the Gill Foundation and the Ad Council. You're listening to the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. This is episode 104 of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Welcome back. Jay Scott Smith here. Want to thank you all, as always, for supporting this show. Big up to my man, Doc Illingsworth. Again, you hear that music playing underneath you right now. That comes from him. Be sure to support his music. The newest selection called Old Man Raps. That link is in the description right now. You need to go check that shit out. You can also get it on, I know it's on SoundCloud. I know it's on Bandcamp. Be sure to go look for it. In fact, throw Old Man Raps into Spotify. You'll probably find it there, too. So let's get back to our conversation with Antoinette New. We left off as she had talked about just how she's been able to find peace through a lot of the difficulty that she's dealt with in her life and the decision to make the move across the pond over to Ghana. We now pick things up talking about Flowers and Moondust, the company that she has formulated while she was over there, what has led her to it, and we'll also get to talk about her thoughts on life in Ghana and whether or not she would ever come back to the United States. This is episode 104, Jay Scott Confidential, but you also know it as JSC Radio. Let's get back to our conversation with Tony right now. So what inspired you to start your company? And tell me and tell everyone about your company because this is because it's picked up pretty quickly. And I, and I think before we were we went on air with this, you were asking me about how was I able to put together this podcast and I do this on my own. It's like, yeah, I do all this on my own. I see what you do, and you're largely doing the exact same thing, except it's not a podcast. It's starting your own, really, your own kind of health and beauty line and beauty company. And I'm I'm even more impressed by that than just me sitting here putting together a damn podcast. It's <laughs> you're putting in real work. I mean, it takes the same level of commitment and dedication. Once you put your mind to something, you go out there, you work, and you make it happen. So the name of my company is Flowers and Moondust, and it's an African wellness company. Um, What we provide is high-quality African healing products, and that includes African superfoods such as moringa powder, tiger nut powder, baobab fruit powder, and raw cocoa powder. And then on the beauty side, we have shea butter, cocoa butter, natural soaps. And um, we also do uh, reusable mud cloth tote bags. And the concept came to me sometime last year. So it took me a year to develop 
the idea and to develop the business before I launched it. And while I was in Ghana, um, I met my partner who, and we both love to travel. So we would go from region to region, just learning about the different cultures of that region or what, who, what farmer grows what in that region. And the more I thought about it, the more I said to myself, there's something here. Like in Ghana alone, there's so much health, natural health and wellness products that we're just sitting on. And as more and more people become privy to their well-being and start taking care of themselves, I feel like Africa and as a whole is a great place to turn to when you're looking to get back to the basics and get back to the natural way of living. And so that's where the idea came from. And I, I've always known I wanted to be a healer of sorts. I just knew it wasn't going to be a medical doctor. So it's funny that I now have an African wellness company because it's still <laughs> a healer just in a different way. So You've always had this kind of a peaceful type of aura to you. Like there's always it, – it's very peaceful. It's very chill. It, it's even – you're, it, the fact that you were people will look at your youth it's like oh she's so young it doesn't matter it's the kind of energy you give off it's very positive very healing this fits you when I, even down to the name of the company like that fits you perfectly like that is you all the way yes and so it's an extension of myself which makes it easy for me to build upon because it's not I'm being authentic to me and I'm living my truth and the business Flowers and Moon Dust is just uh, another branch of, of the same tree, if you will. And so I'm very excited to have it out there. Um, I'm very excited for people to learn more about my culture and the wellness that goes on in my home country um, and in Africa as a whole and to have like a positive outlook and bringing something positive to the global market because it's very important to me that I'm even living in Ghana to do this um, company, to run this company, because I work hand in hand with local African artisans who are brilliant at what they do. And so, for example, the tiger nut um, powder that we have, there's this farmer who does organic farming. He doesn't use any pesticides, any fertilizer. Everything is 100% natural. And he knows how to cultivate the tiger nuts in a way. And he knows how to dehydrate them. And just his his process, just watching him work is just phenomenal and brilliant. And he's in a village. And a lot of people think there's nothing in the village. There's no knowledge in the village. But there's so much wealth and knowledge and beautiful things happening in these rural areas that I feel like more people need to be aware of. And so just me being here and working hand in hand with the people that um, support my company and I support them. So it's a give and take. It's not, I'm not doing charity work over here. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, I, I, I'm so, I'm fascinated. I'm so fascinated by this. I just, how were you able to get, people on board because i see so often these days people are trying to start companies trying to start different things and they so often get stuck at square one yet you've been able to make this happen and i won't say it took it was quick because i know you put in a long amount of work on this but the way that it's really gotten rolling you were able to make yes. this happen I, what 
I guess short of saying, what would be your secret, and what would you tell other young entrepreneurs, whether it's whether they're whether they're in Ghana, the states, they're in England, because we get listeners all over the world on this thing. What would you tell like some young entrepreneurs who are starting to form these business partnerships and to be able to get these businesses off the ground? Well, when it comes to working with the locals here, I would say going in with an open mind and not putting yourself on a high pedestal. I don't say, oh, I'm coming from America, so I'm going to come teach you how to do what you do best. But no, going in humble, going in with an open mind, having them understand that it's a collaborative effort um, and that it's a give and take and not just, oh, I'm giving you something or I'm taking something away from you, but we're in this together. So if I thrive, you thrive and we thrive together. And so just making it known that it's a collaborative effort was a way that um, I got a lot of people on board and people are smart. They could smell through like, I don't know. Am I allowed to curse? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) They they could smell bullshit from a mile away. So if they're coming (laughs) in with bullshit, they'll know. And so I come in with a clean heart and I think it shows in the work that I do and my commitment to them. Um, And so I would say to other entrepreneurs to like have a vision, stick to it and be authentic and work hard for sure. Cause being an entrepreneur has been one of the most challenging things I've ever had to do. Um, there's been so many times when I felt like giving up, but having the right support system around me, um, has been instrumental to the success of the company thus far Um, and just definitely your support system matters when you're about to start a company because you will be tested over and over and over again and it's about each time you get up if you have to go back to the drawing board and rework something you do it because you have an end goal in mind and so keeping that vision clear definitely helps me throughout the process and it's still helping me now because it's a I'm trying to build and grow it um, everything I've done so far I funded myself um, which has been really difficult not having that capital given to you but I'm using my own savings to build the company so legitimately you're legitimately self-made you're not like how some people call themselves self-made and they've gotten handouts and they've gotten donations and all sort of money like this is this is all your shit like it's going in here yes it is it's all my shit yes <laughs> how diff how how has being a woman being a being young and being black and being a woman have those have those led to some issues of people trying either not believing in what you're doing or led to resistance from people who might want to work with you have has that caused any problems um so far no um not that I've experienced. Um, the most of the people I work with are also black women, so that's probably there. Well, that that helps. That certainly yeah, helps. Yeah, that's part of the reason why. Um, and I'm intentional about who I approach and who I work with, and so having that intentionality has definitely helped. I've been received very well. No one has turned me down yet because of my age or my gender or the color of my skin. And I find that um, a lot of people nowadays are looking to support black women business owners. And so 
I've gotten a lot of support on um, online and on my social media, just people encouraging me to continue and to keep going and believing in the mission and believing in what I'm doing and what I'm trying to accomplish. So I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. And if there's any negative um, things out there, I'm not really paying attention to it because it hasn't even registered. Right now I'm focused on the positive. Since you launched, what's the reception been like? How, how have the sales started to look for you? Um, so in the beginning, obviously, when you launch, you get an influx of sales, and then it kind of levels out after a few days. And so right now, trying to um, put out advertisements, trying to just maintain that a consistent online presence is definitely helping. Um, we, we're only two months old, two and a half months old. <laughs> I haven't been on the market for that long. So right now I'm looking to see um, if there are other companies out there that I could partner with to do like pop-up shops and to do demonstrations because you have to build that trust because a lot of people don't necessarily, they don't know about the product. So you have to teach them like, oh, this is shea butter. This is what we use it for. Or this is moringa powder. You could use it in your smoothies, your salads, X, Y, Z. So there's a teaching component that goes into it too. And so with times, with time, I feel like I'll definitely see more sales, but it's leveled off a bit right now. Would you ever come back to the States? Sure, not to not to live in the states, but to come visit. <laughs> I mean, you know, like I mean, like in terms of business and things. I mean, obviously, right now you're just building. You're building lower level, trying to build from the ground up where you are out there. But in terms of bringing it to the states, I'm sure there would be a market for that here too. Of course, there's a market um, in the states, and there's um, people who are interested in all things Africa and returning to Africa and. Um, I would be open to come. Like the States is one of my target areas. I feel like it would do, the business would do very well and will resonate with a lot of people. And so people in the diaspora, they're, they're looking at Ghana right now and at Africa as a whole. So I want them to be one of the places they look at for all things wellness. I've, I've heard a lot more about Ghana in the last few years than I really heard for most of my life. Because you know, 20, 2019 is the year of the return. We're encouraging people in the diaspora to come back. And I was going to, I was going to bring that up. I, had, <laughs> I, people who listen to this pro, this this podcast, people who know me, know that I'm a professional wrestling fan. And there is a pro wrestler who's the current WWE World Champion. He goes by the name Kofi Kingston. His real name is Kofi Sarkodie Mensah. He was born in Ghana. His first African-born black man to be champion. And the, he actually went back to Ghana for the first time in, I think he said, 25 years. He's born in Ghana. His parents moved to the States. His mother ended up working for the State Department. He ends up getting, ends up getting a degree from Boston University but becomes a pro wrestler. And he goes through this whole – it was just really kind of – I got emotional watching how people received him when he came back to Ghana where he, he – it was, it was incredible. But he had gone through this whole identity crisis here in the, in the States where he's black, grew up an African family, but the first thing he had to be when he became a pro wrestler was they had him come up with a fake Jamaican accent. <laughs> what? Yeah, it was crazy. And he even kind of, and he explained how he used to get a lot of grief from 
like especially Ghanaian family members and friends is like dude you're not Jamaican it's like I know but see what they're trying like it doesn't matter you're not he finally now he's fully embraced it obviously that was 10 years ago now he's fully embraced it when when people in the diaspora such as myself I've never I've never been across to Africa and this year being the year of the return what does that what is what does that entail for those of us because I'm somebody who's always wanted to learn more about Africa. I'm not one of these people who's blinded to thinking that it's just the stereotypes and everything else. What is it like for someone who has been in the States their whole lives like me and would be interested in coming over, if not this year, at some point very in the near future, being able to come over there and learn more about the country? What are What is it that's, that an African-American coming to Ghana would, would be surprised to learn about the country? Um, I feel like one of the first things you'd be surprised to learn about a crowd in particular is how expensive it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a crowd is a very expensive city. A lot of people come here and they're very surprised, like, what? Rent is how much? And you have to have, like, two years of it up front. It's not month to month like you're used to. Two, two years? Yes. <laughs> Right. Some of us are struggling to be able to pay one month. They're asking for two years. Wow. Their, their money up front. They're not playing games. <laughs> um, but that's one thing a lot of people are um, are surprised by is how expensive a cost. Even from me coming from 2015 to 2018, I came back that three-year gap. There's definitely an increase in price of everything, which I was very surprised by. Um, but people who come, who have never come to Ghana before, hmm, the experience, I, I wouldn't really, I'd have to ask people who that's their reality. Cause that's not necessarily my reality. Um, since I did grow up and like, since I had been to Ghana before. And so I wouldn't really know. Um, what they'd be surprised by other than how expensive like a car is. Um, I think it's one of those um, experiences where you just have to come and see for yourself what it's like. You've mentioned that you would come back to the States, at least in terms of business. If you could sum up the experience you've had, I guess it's been about a year and a half since you moved out there. What has it been like for you now that you're kind of, fully back in out there what's it been like for you and you said something about you wouldn't come back to live in the states i i hate to even say i have an idea why you wouldn't but why is it that you wouldn't come back here to the states Uh, well there's a lot of reasons why i wouldn't come back but the main reason as i said is it's important for me to live here as i'm running this business to be with the people that I'm trying to support. So I'm very passionate about supporting the local African economy. And so it wouldn't make sense for me to make the money and then take it outside and spend it in the U.S. That just, if I'm going to stimulate the local economy, I have to be here in order to to stimulate the economy from here and live with the people that I'm working with. That's my main reason why I wouldn't move back just yet. And two, I don't have you seen what is going on to black bodies in the United States. I, I, I've, I've had firsthand a firsthand front row seat for a lot of the 
wonderful things that are happening out here in the United States, needless to say. Like, I, whenever I turn on the news and I listen to um, what's going on in the state, I just heard about the shooting that happened. Where was it? Um, where was this mass shooting where someone opened fire in a Walmart and killed a lot of... Um, you're, you're thinking of the one in... You're thinking of the one in El Paso, which was about 12 hours before another one that was in Ohio. It, it's, you see? So many of them happen that they, you start to lose track. And it's, and it's, it's wild yeah. to me how we still haven't done anything in regards to gun reform after all of these mass shootings. And just knowing that America has such a blatant disregard for black and brown bodies, I'm not in a rush to come and live there. You ain't no hurry to come back and deal with this. At all. At all. I mean, Ghana, Ghana, Accra has its problems, but at least when I'm walking around, I know I'm overall I'm safe. That's the thing that I don't think a lot of people get about where this country is right now is it's not just simply that we don't look right amongst Americans. We look like shit internationally now. <laughs> We, we didn't have the greatest reputation before some, some, a certain someone took over in 2017. We look like trash worldwide right now. And if, if you remember what happened in New Zealand, how quickly they were to make a reform to their policies in terms of automatic guns. I'm just like, why couldn't we do something like that right away? Like, it, it just boggles me how poor our government is when it comes to making policies that keep people safe essentially we we deserve better here and you found i, I would say you found some of your peace where you are and you see, this, I, is, this is why it's even more important for me to take my products to the american market because there's so much trauma and so much healing that needs to be done and we need to look to our natural resources that we have in Africa and our natural ways of living and the ways that our ancestors used to live in order to heal some of this trauma. And so if you look at the way our ancestors used to eat, they used to eat a lot of plant-based foods. They used to walk around a lot because there were no cars. And so you were walking everywhere, drink lots of water, eat fresh fruits. They, they took preventative health measures so that they wouldn't get sick. And they lived a lot longer than we're living now. And so just knowing that there are ways to heal ourselves using like natural resources and natural like preventative ways is very important, especially for black and brown people in the diaspora, because our bodies are under constant attacks our minds are under like we're always there's so much stress and so how do we as a community heal that and part of it is what we're eating um our lack of movement so exercising more what's our mental state and how do we heal mentally because it's a 360 thing you can't heal the body and not heal the mind right oh exactly and so it's 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 hard. It's very difficult. And this is my way of um, helping the movement because I am very much pro-black. <laughs> you got to be. It's like these days you have you have to be able to. There's so much to us in our community. And, and by the way, you're I always forget this. You're are you either vegan or vegetarian? Oh, I'm vegan. You're full vegan. OK, 
I, well, I, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let me back up. Let me back up. Uh, I'm right, plant well, based. <laughs> I am plant go. based because I realize that I'm not 100% vegan the ways that vegans are. So I eat a predominantly plant based diet and I try to make sure everything that I put on and in my body is chemical free, non toxic. So I'm very health conscious and health aware. I wouldn't consider myself vegan but i don't use the label vegan anymore there's so much to our health and and so much of it in our own mental space more than anything else that we need to work on because i don't think people really fully address especially in our community we don't fully address that where there's a stigma to addressing mental health and there's even acknowledging issues we're just now getting around in 2019 almost 2020 to kind of acknowledging there's a mental health crisis in black communities, especially with young black people, black men such as myself, that we got to do better jobs. We got to do better jobs of a lot of things, but our mental health dictates how we react to things, how we respond to things, how we treat our women, how we treat our kids. It, it, it's wide ranging. And to be able to address that in a straightforward manner in any way, shape or form is always needed. And that's why I was going to say is that you found your peace over there, but you've also found a purpose. And yes, I found I my peace um, and I found my, and it's a work in progress. I mean, healing from trauma, any sort of trauma takes time and you should never try to rush the process, right? And so even as I'm here now, I'm still constantly working on myself, asking myself how I could be better, um, what I need and how I'm going to access what I need in order to have a, that 360 holistic healing that I'm looking to have and I'm looking to inspire other people to start their own wellness journeys and so it's always a process it's a there's no exact destination because it's life right things come up and so you need to learn how to deal with these things as they come up and we're all works in progress and I am I couldn't I couldn't be more proud of you for what you're doing I've always thought you were a dynamic young woman from the first time I saw you. It's like, I I can tell, I tell, I can tell, I can read talent pretty well and I can read really good people. And you were always really good people. And we're all works in progress. So we're all getting better. We're all figuring things out. Even if I'm, I'm almost 40 years old and I'm still a work in progress. And, I, and we all are trying to get things right. How can, exactly. people, how can people get in contact with you and how can people buy some of your products? So I everything right now is online. You can go to www.flowersandmoondust.com and make an order online. We ship using um, Three Day Express DHL, so it's secure. It's straight to your door. Um, I haven't had any issues or any complaints, so I'm very happy about that. And you get your order literally if I ship it today you'll get it in three days and we treat every order as priority and so the turnaround time is really fast so don't think that because i'm in ghana you'll t it'll take like 20 years for your products <laughs> to, to arrive no i i'm very meticulous about my business and i try to make sure i put the customer first and foremost always you pack all this um, yourself like you're really sending yes I even write, I will hand write a letter, a little postcard and everything. It's just because I try to put myself on the receiving end. And if someone wrote to me like, oh, thank you so much for your purchase. Like, please let us know if you have. It'd make me feel good. So 
I try to put love into every package that I send out and everything is done by hand. There's no machines, like packaging is all done by me. Um, Literally everything you see from the website to the logo, I had a hand in it. So literally a love child. So flowersandmoondust.com, you ship to all, you ship all, you ship internationally. So not just yes, Ghana, worldwide. Yeah. Worldwide. So whether you're in the U.S. or Canada or the U.K., those are the three, or in Spain, where those are like the four biggest countries that this podcast reaches from those algorithms or something else. <laughs> if you wanted to ship, if you wanted to ship there, you wanted to ship to, to wherever. Yeah. Wherever you are in the world, um, I could, you could purchase our product and I could get it to you. If you have any problems with shipping, you could just send us an email at hello at flowersandmoondust.com and I'll respond within 24 hours. Um, any questions, comments at all, just email me and I will handle that. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook at Flowers and Moondust. Um, so tell your friends to tell their friends and I would love to have Anyone listening, join the Flowers and Moon Dust community, and you'll see it's a very safe space for you to engage in your wellness journey and to learn more about Africa and our products that we have to help you along that journey. And I will make sure that I put all that information in the description of this podcast, that you'll, you'll see it below in the description as well to be able to reach out to her. I know I call you Tony, and everybody calls you Tony, but I'm going to go with the full, the, the full professional name. You want one for that? Antoinette Newton Aqua. Yes. All the way from Ghana. By far my first international guest and coming to me all the way from the motherland. Thank you so much for taking the time there. I know there's like a four hour time difference, so it's a little bit later in the evening for you, but I appreciate you taking the time to do this. This is this was awesome. I also appreciate you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Always love talking to you and reconnecting with you. And whenever you're ready to come to a come here. I'm not I going just, anywhere. I just need to get my money together. Yeah, Clearly, parts. I'm going to need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get my ass on a plane across the Atlantic and actually go to a place that I found out is one of my ancestral homelands. So I guess I need to get over there and find out more about, about God. Wait, when you, when you say you found out, did you do the DNA test? I've done a couple of different ones, and it keeps tracing back to Ghana, where that's it's, – it's, it's Ghana – Ghana and uh, Cameroon were the two that keep coming up. Don't yeah. don't you think it's a little bit funny though that all these ancestral DNA companies are not doing it for African Americans for free, and that oh, they're profiting not. off of our pain of not knowing like where exactly we originate from? I think it's BS once more. I feel <laughs> like it's the least they could do is to do all this DNA testing stuff for free because it's not that. <laughs> That's another two-hour conversation of talking about all the different things this country could do for us for free. I got a couple things that certain people in this country could do for me right now, but I ain't going to go there. Thank you so much, Tony. I appreciate this, and thank you for coming on JSC Radio. Thank you. And there you have it. Another one in the books, episode 104. And when I tell you this, this run that we've been on here on, on a JSC radio, J Scott confidential, this run we've been on really that started all the way back in episode 90, 94 in Daytona, but really since episode 98, it, it has been, 
this has been something else because to have one after the other, to have Josh and Jasmine from episode 98, to get Jamel Hill on 100, to have Aaron in 101, Katie in 102, where that thing is still doing numbers, Leanne last week, and now Tony, who, if I told you that she was 25 years old, would you really believe me? Because she's 25 years old. 25. That young woman with the level of brilliance, the level of poise, the the just the business sense, everything that she has. She's 25 years old. Just imagine where she's going to be when she's my age in 15 years and she's really taken over the world. Be sure to support Flowers and Moondust. It's flowersandmoondust.com. And as she mentioned, she does ship to the U.S. It will get there. For my listeners in the U.K., she does ship to the U.K. For my listeners in Ghana, in Nigeria, because we do have a pretty sizable audience in Africa. And I want to thank everyone over in the motherland who supports this show. I don't think you understand how cool it is that you guys are listening to me right now over there. Be sure to support this young black woman. She was born in the States, but she's returned home to Ghana in this year of the return in Ghana. She's doing such great things over there. Plus, just be sure to follow her at Tony in Transit. That's Tony, T-O-N-I, dot in, dot transit because she's always in transit she's always moving and so is this show we're getting ready for episode 105 and that one we're going to drop on you on the instagram feed so you got to be following on instagram got to be following on twitter to find out what we have in store for episode 105 but for right now my name is jay scott smith telling you to take care of yourself god bless always dare to be different always have your pets spayed or neutered help control that damn pet population and we are out of here until next time goodbye everybody Craig, have you seen my shit? What's that for? Protection. Protection? Protection from who? Yeah, Smokey. I got to walk Smokey down to his house. Oh, man. Your mother and I never would have moved in this neighborhood if we hadn't known you need a gun to walk down the damn street. No ideas around here. Oh, no, son. That's not the way it is. You kids today are nothing but punks. Sissified. So quick to pick up a gun. You're scared to take an ass whipping. This is what makes you a man. When I was growing up, this was all the protection we needed. You win some, you lose some. But you live. You live to fight another day. You think you're a man with that gun in your hand, don't you? I'm a man without it. Put the gun down. Come on, put up your dukes. Now you're a man. Your uncle picked up a gun, too. He had to find out the hard way. 22 years old. You got a choice. He's all you need. You're listening to the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. They heard on the news about that five year old who found his uncle's gun. 
the kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online. For like a year, she couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.